here with you this morning and to share with you from God's Word. It really is just a great honor and privilege to have that relationship uh, that you were talking about, Bob, and to be entrusted with your children for Camp Sar Shalom and, and to be able to come out here and, and share and, and to partner. And that's really what it's about for me is partnership, true partnership, true coming together, spirit, talents, gifts, and see what the Lord wants to do. This, this city is home to over 600,000 Jewish people. I think we forget that, but it really is. It's a huge, it's the fourth largest, well, it's tied with Jerusalem, really, if you think about it, in terms of cities worldwide, maybe fifth. But it's a very large Jewish population. And in the San Fernando Valley, it's home to a quarter of a million. 250,000 Jewish people live right here in the San Fernando Valley. And we're blessed to have multiple congregations, multiple outreaches, sharing, proclaiming the good news of Messiah. And it is good news. And you know, one of the things that the Lord's really been convicting me of is to live like it's good news. <laughs> Five kids, right? <laughs> Good news. No, but <laughs> and, and I think that after we've been believers for a while, we, we sometimes forget that it really is good news. And this season should be a reminder of that. Should be an incredible reminder. As the rest of the Jewish world, the rest of the Jewish community is preparing in hope for their sins to be forgiven in hope of having a relationship with God, we who follow his Messiah, who proclaimed him as our Lord and our Savior, as our Master, our King, our Redeemer, we should be living, not just when the the music team is playing and worshiping with us or leading us into worship and we're all excited, but every day, every morning, every evening, moment by moment. And so... I believe that that's really a message that as we move into this next, this next season that God has put on my heart for my life and maybe for your life too. As uh, Bob was saying, I am the LA director for Chosen People Ministries and it's a, it's a great privilege to, to be that, to have that uh, position. And, and I grew up here. I grew up right here, really. My synagogue was right over there on Valerio and Shoup. Congregation Beth Kodesh. That's where I was bar mitzvah. I spent eight years there going to Hebrew school and I was bar mitzvah there. I grew up at Fallbrook and Roscoe. I lived down the street from my synagogue for years until finally we moved to Woodland Hills. And so this is where I'm from. Sometimes I, I feel like, like George Bailey. You know, I just wanted to get out and God said, no, you're staying right here. And so the Lord is planting me here. He's given me incredible opportunities. And so as I said a moment ago, I'm just, you know, just really looking for partnership. And the first place of partnership is prayer. And so when you came in, you received this brochure, some of you. If you want to go ahead and open it up wide, there's a picture of myself and our five boys. And I'm not going to try to name them. You did a very good job. I can't, you know, who can remember? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you might, anyway, so there's a picture of my lovely wife, Lisa, and our five boys. And a little bit of my testimony, how I came to faith. If you open it up wide you'll see a little card here. And what I want to do is I want to participate in an ancient messianic tradition. It's called the tearing of the slip. 
And so on the count of three... <laughs> Good. All right. I'm still awake. Uh, we're going to tear it together. Echad, Shtayim, Shalosh. One, two, three. Now, just recently we finished an incredible outreach where we had 15 billboards all over the city of Los Angeles saying basically Isaiah chapter 53, this chapter can save your life. I brought some books with me. They're out on the table. And the opportunity we gave people was if they saw those billboards and they called in or they went on the website, they could have one for free. And so today, if you want to receive, if you just want to take one of these books either for yourself or for your Jewish friend, you can go ahead and fill out the card and grab one. Uh, No charge. Such a deal. If... uh, if you just would like to purchase the book, it's $10. So either way, um, you can go ahead and fill out the card. You'll receive my prayer letter, and it'll give us an opportunity just to tell you what's going on. One of the things that we're doing that I want to just sort of get out um, and, and tell you about is on October 6th, as Bob was saying, we do minister uh, at a place called Camp Star Shalom once a year, and we're going to have kind of a reunion during Sukkot. So it is on my Facebook page. I thought I would never say that, but I have a Facebook page and I have something on there. And on my Facebook page, it talks about this October 6th outreach on Saturday night where we're going to just have fun, we're going to eat, we're going to worship, we're going to talk about the Lord, and we're just going to sort of have a reunion. But uh, you're all invited, especially, I guess the young people are gone, but, uh, but the youth, because the next generation is really it's vital. It's critical. And what's really critical is just that we live that authentic relationship with the Lord before them. You know, the old saying, better caught than taught. And we have to live as though it's true, because it is true. And our lives depend upon it, and their life depends upon it. And so that's something that if you're interested in, you can talk to me about. Well, let's pray. And ask God to bless our time together. Abba, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you have blessed us with the scriptures and that we have it. And that the scriptures are really, they illuminate to us your truth. And by the power of your spirit, we can imprint that scripture into our inner person and be transformed. And I do pray, Lord God, that we would be transformed this morning and every day uh, by your grace. Not by our works, but by your grace and by the works that you've laid out for us, that you've given us the power to do. Lord, we pray for our country. We ask that you bless this great nation. We pray, Lord God, for the fullness of the nations to come in. We pray for the body of believers all over the world, that you would touch, bless, and protect them. And Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for this great community, this nation that you called out of Egypt 3,500 years ago, and that they still exist today, of which I am a remnant of, and many of us here today are, and you still love them. Not only do you love them, but you have a future for them. And I pray, Lord God, for their peace. I pray for their salvation. I pray that they would come to know you. And national Israel would see this Yom Kippur, this Day of Atonement, not as ritual, but as a picture of the work that Yeshua did for us when he died and rose again. Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, as I just mentioned a moment ago, and just maybe I didn't, but in a couple of days, Tuesday night, we're going to be celebrating Arab Yom Kippur. Now, Yom Kippur is the second of the fall feasts, that roughly 20-day period between Yom Truah, the day of blowing, or as we sometimes call it, Rosh Hashanah, the 
beginning of the year, which really it's the beginning of a new season. Passover is the head of the year. And then Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, 10 days later. And during this period, we call it the Days of Odds, the days where we, where we seek God and recognize our, our sins and we confess them to, to him and he speaks to us and we prepare ourselves for this great national day, this Kippur of Atonement. And then five days later, we celebrate Sukkot which is a picture of his desire to dwell with his people. And it makes sense that we have to have our our sins taken care of before we can dwell with him. Now, I remember growing up, and as I said, I I am a Jewish believer in in Yeshua and Jesus. Both of my parents are from the Holy Land, New York City. (laughs) One's from Brooklyn, one's from the Bronx. That's a whole other story. And I remember growing up with real trepidation over Yom Kippur. So because, because of that one word, fast. The idea of a fast really spooked me as a young child, and really most of my parents, or my, both my parents, because we were sort of irreligious, non-religious. Yes, they sent me to Hebrew school for eight years, and I was bar mitzvah. That was sort of their responsibility to their to their ancestors and, and to the, the Jewish community at large, but in terms of the religion and how to follow it, we weren't really quite sure. We knew, though, on Yom Kippur, we had to fast. And I knew that once I turned 13, that was it. I had to fast every year after that. And so I started practicing years before, because a Yom Kippur, excuse me, Yom Kippur fast is unlike most fasts, where you don't drink water and you don't eat food, 24 hours. And so I remember starting out when I was 10. One year, I think I was 10 or 11, and one of my family members, around 2 o'clock, you know, I'm just in agony, and I just don't know what to, you know, I'm just like, how am I going to survive? And then I walk into one of my family members' rooms, and they're like hiding a meatball. (laughs) Wait a second, that's not right. And then later I learned that the way you you survive a, a Yom Kippur fast is that right before, the night before, before Erev Yom Kippur, you eat a lot of food. Lots of food. You just pile it in there. Of course, you have to drink a lot of water because you don't want that dry mouth later. So you pour, you know, drink a lot of water, a lot of food, and then you go through it. And then as you're... And what, we, what I did, too, is my father, and he never really did this. We didn't really go to synagogue that much. But then he, he came home with tickets every once in a while to synagogue service. And so I would go because I figured going to synagogue service, that would take up some time. You know, even though there was a lot of up and down, a lot of exercising, that's Jewish worship. You're always standing up and sitting down, which was kind of hard when you were hungry. But I said, that's better than sitting around and watching TV or arguing with my brother or my sister. So I would go to synagogue service. We'd be done around two or three. And then we would just sort of make it until I got to my Bubby's house and then we'd eat a lot of food. You know, I used to think, well, maybe I can lose some weight on Yom Kippur, but this eating a lot before and this eating a lot after, it really didn't do the trick. And I just started to realize that what we were doing was we were just trying to survive a fast. And that's really, you know, not what Yom Kippur is about. You know, I remember after I became a believer, I I read Leviticus 16, I read Leviticus 23, the the critical passages dealing with Yom Kippur, and it didn't say anything about a fast. I was really blown away by that, actually a little disappointed, all those years of fasting. Now, it does say afflict your souls, and the rabbis have interpreted that as being a fast, 
And I think that that's a, a good interpretation. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that. But that's very minor in comparison to what you really need and what this great feast reminds us of. See, this feast doesn't remind us to fast every year. This feast teaches us that we need more than a fast. It reminds us that we need three critical things. We need a priest, we need a holy place, and we need a sacrifice. And that without those three things, regardless of whether you fast or not, you don't have Yom Kippur. So let's turn to Leviticus chapter 16. This is the great thing about being an outreach worker to the Jewish people. While everybody else is preaching out of the Gospels, I get to preach out of the book of Leviticus. So Leviticus chapter 16, and believe me, there are some incredible nuggets in the book of Leviticus. Incredible. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil. And put the incense. Now that veil here is he's going into the Holy of Holies. That place within the holy place, which is within the tabernacle. And he put the incense on the fire before the Lord. And the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat. This is where that seat above the ark shall cover the mercy seat. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat. And on the east side and in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. And so we see that there is sacrifice that is needed once a bull for Aaron, the priest, and then the goat. There would be two goats that would be chosen. One would be the goat for the sin offering for the people, and another goat would be the Azazel, which would be sent off into the wilderness after the people's sins was confessed as a symbol of how God takes away our sins. And so we need a, a sin offering. We need a sacrifice. What was unfortunate, or at least, at the very least, what the picture here is, is that these sacrifices were provisional. They were never meant to be total. They were always meant, in other words, you always needed another sacrifice. There was always another sacrifice because there was always additional sins. These sacrifices really just covered you for the moment and for the past. And these particular sacrifices were for national Israel. They weren't really dealing with your own particular sins. And so the way I read it is you can have Yom Kippur, you can follow the rituals, But then a week later, you can commit a sin and you'd still need to offer a sacrifice. You'd still need to have another sacrifice. And actually, these sacrifices would really come to nothing if it wasn't for the great sacrifice, if it wasn't for the Messiah's sacrifice. In Isaiah 53, verse 10, it says that the Messiah would be our ultimate guilt offering, that all these sacrifices were provisional or were actually just a holding place until the final sacrifice would come. And so these particular sacrifices ultimately kept the ball moving, but they didn't give complete forgiveness. 
They point the picture to forgiveness, but they don't provide the absolute forgiveness necessary. The second thing we read that you need is you need a holy place. You need a place that you can go to. It's sort of the meeting ground by which you can offer your sacrifice. You know, you can't just go, like, you know, think about it today. You commit a sin, you go, you get your goat, you go into your backyard, you offer the sin as a sacrifice, you pour it out. You can't just do that. You see, we had to follow God's terms. We broke his meat's vote, his commandments, and so we have to do it his way. That's ultimately what we're learning here in this great feast, that we can't just offer the sacrifice that we want. We can't just say, I'm a good person. God, God accepts me. No, we have to follow his instructions. The same thing happened for the children of Israel when they left Egypt. You know, it wasn't enough on that night of the Passover for them just to, as the destroyer was coming through to slay the firstborn, to say, I have God's, I have Abraham's blood in my veins, therefore I can sort of walk through and see what's going on today. No, they had to follow God's instructions for deliverance. They had to slay the Passover lamb. They had to apply its blood to the doorpost and to the lentils. They had to then seal the door and the destroyer passed over. Otherwise, their firstborn as well would have been destroyed on that night. Yom Kippur teaches us that we need a holy place as well. You know, I remember when I was growing up, as I said, just like a mile and a half away, and we'd play over the line, over the line in front of our garage door, which was kind of crazy if you think about it, because here we are, these big kids, we're, we're pitching against the garage door with a tennis ball, we got a you know, baseball bat, we're hitting it into all the neighbors' yards. You can imagine that that just made me friends with all of my neighbors, because these balls were hitting off of windows, busting bushes, the whole thing. And you know, it wasn't enough for me just to go into my house and go, oh yeah, you know, I'm sorry. No, I had to go to my neighbor's door and I had to ask for forgiveness. And really the holy place is necessary for that. You have to go to God. We have to go to him and ask for his forgiveness. Yom Kippur reminds us that we need forgiveness, but we need it the Lord's way. And you know, the tabernacle was transitory. This was a earthly tabernacle. It lasted for about 500 years, from about 1500 to about 1000 BCE. And then they built the temple, which looked a lot like the tabernacle. And that lasted until about 70 AD, about another 1000 years. And now it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. It's no longer. And so these sacrifices, they're not happening anymore. This tabernacle doesn't exist anymore. And the final thing that Yom Kippur teaches us that we need, we need a priest. And not just any priest. We need a Kohen. <laughs> I, I walk into synagogues every once in a while, and they, I tell them my name. They're like, oh, Michael Cohen. They're all excited because they need a Kohen. They recognize that there's a, a need for this Kohen and and they ask me, well, where do you go to synagogue? Where do you go to shul? And I go, well, I go to a messianic congregation where we believe in Jesus. And that smile, that enthusiasm, when I first walked in, turns to a kind of a, you poor thing, <laughs> you poor misguided person. You see, we need a holy place. And as we read, we also need an ironic priest. We need somebody in the line of Aaron. problem is we can't find these things today. Okay, I'm a Cohen. I'm not offering anybody's animals today, okay? I faint at the sight of blood. 
Some of you don't. I, my mother wanted me to be a doctor. I couldn't do it because of just the blood. I couldn't handle it. There's no holy place anymore. I've been to Jerusalem. I've seen the remnants of the temple. I know there's a lot of hope that one day the temple will be rebuilt, but it doesn't exist today. You know, the Jewish people in Babylon, after the temple was destroyed, around 800 CE, after Yeshua came and dwelt among us, after the closing of the Talmud, the Talmud is the Jewish, it's like the, the Hebrew, the Jewish holy books. They were finished around 600 CE. By 800 CE, in Babylon, these rabbis understood that you needed to sacrifice. They understood that. And so they, that's where the tradition of having a chicken, and they would wring the chicken's neck out, and then they would swing it over its, their head three times because they understood they needed a sacrifice. They understood it wasn't just enough to say some prayers. They, would, they understood that they couldn't just allegorize Yom Kippur. They understood that a fast wasn't enough. And just the concept of just trying to survive through a fast doesn't get us to the place of forgiveness. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, we see this picture of Yeshua, this beautiful picture. But when Messiah appeared as Kohen Hagadol, high priest, of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is not of his creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We are not only purified, but our conscience have been cleansed that we may serve the living God. We don't need the earthly Kohen Hagadol who dies, who's weak, who has to offer sin for himself, who, can't, who doesn't survive eternally. You know, he, after a certain amount of period, he died and he left it to his sons. But unfortunately, they're no more. That Kohen, that high priesthood is gone. And the tabernacle doesn't exist anymore. Except, and the sacrifice doesn't, or does it? It exists in heaven. You know, I was talking to an Orthodox Jew, and he told me that I keep about 40% of the law. I said, 40%? That's pretty good. You know, in Jewish tradition, there's 613 commandments, so that's roughly 200. I said, that's pretty good. That's better than me, for sure. I'm, you know, happy when I keep one or two for a couple of minutes. But, but I said, what about the other 60%? I mean, doesn't God expect you to keep all of it? And he said, well, that's what we have Yom Kippur for. I said, but you don't have Yom Kippur. You don't have what the scriptures say you need to have. You don't have that priest. You know, when Yeshua, when we read about Yeshua dying for us on the cross, that he was crucified his blood was shed for us. And so we always talk about him being our sacrifice. But then he says later on in that passage, he says, it is finished. And I believe when he says it is finished, he's presenting himself as our priest. 
He's fulfilling Psalm 10, verse 1, the beginning of that psalm that says you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then that place outside the camp is a holy place that God ordained for our Messiah. That is the tabernacle, and we need to go to him. Yom Kippur reminds us that we need forgiveness, that we need forgiveness, and that there's only one way. It is through the Messiah, who's our priest, who established our tabernacle, and whom he is in before God day and night for you and for me. And he is our sacrifice, the perfect, sinless, unblemished sacrifice. And that it exists today and that it is permanent. Which reminds us of the next thing that Yom Kippur teaches us. Yom Kippur teaches us that God doesn't want us just to have forgiveness. He doesn't want us just to survive in this world. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to flourish Flourish in the darkness. Let's look at Leviticus 16 again, starting with verse 29. And really, I just want to say that this, to me, is is sort of the crux of the matter. A lot of times we we offer forgiveness to people. But the what next is critical. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves. You shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. One of the problems with Yom Kippur was that it was annual. It was not permanent. It was temporary. And every year they had to go and as a nation, and they had to have their priests, they had to have their tabernacle, and they had to have their sacrifice in order to have their sins, not just forgiven, but cleansed, in order so that they could be God's people. But not so for you and for me. When once we put our trust, our faith in Yeshua, we have assurance It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach. We have peace. God's wrath is not just assuaged for a day or a week or a year. It is assuaged forever. And I think we need to let that truth just kind of nestle in our hearts. We need to ask God to imprint that truth that we have assurance. I think sometimes in the Messianic community, we get confused. We're not sure. Well, I'm Jewish, so I have to do X, Y, and Z. No, you have to just put your faith. And notice it's in past tense, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That is an assurance that is deeper than what Aaron did for us. Aaron, who as a weak man, had to offer a sin for himself and then enter, only allowed to enter the veil once a year. And then hopefully, you know, the tradition is that sometimes they would put ropes around his waist in case he died because he wasn't right before God. But we have a Messiah who is God the Son who intercedes on our behalf day and night. We have been justified. That word there, rendered righteous, pardoned. We are pardoned. And I don't, I don't know if we really understand. I think we need to just pray and ask God to really explain and show us the vastness of what that means, to be rendered righteous by our Messiah. We have total 
and complete assurance. But we have more than that. We have access. We have access. Let's keep reading verse 32. And the priest who was anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for the people of the assembly. See, God in Yom Kippur, this is very critical. Not only is our sins being forgiven, and not only does he want us to have assurance and the picture of assurance being cleansed, Although it was temporary, it was a picture of what would happen, the permanency. But we see here that there is a desire for his people to access him, to be accessible. Here it's through the priest. But ultimately when the Messiah comes, it will be in him. See, the gospel is more than Jesus died for my sins. The gospel is that Jesus died for my sins. He was buried and he rose again. And when I put my faith in that truth, the Holy Spirit enters into me. And he, through the Holy Spirit, dwells in me. And the same God who is before the Father, ministering on my behalf, lives in me. And I now, through him, have total access to the Father. That should radically change my life. It should radically change your life from a survivor to a thriver, from a withering branch to a flourishing branch with fruit. You just believe, and you're justified, pardoned. And as you believe, the grace of God gives you total access in which you stand. And you know what it even says? It says, let's just turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. You know, we, we read these verses, and these are knowledgeable truths. But God wants to do more than have these just be facts. He wants these facts to be stamped into your inner person. He wants, you know, we, this is why I think we, yeah, we, we pray the prayer. We know we're forgiven. But we still live at times defeated lives. Because in our flesh, we move beyond the truth of Scripture. We start to look at things in a manner that is not in the Spirit. But when we recognize, when we step back and we say, you know, I've been pardoned. I, I, I'm, I'm cleansed. I may not feel that, but it's true if I believe in Yeshua. You know, Abraham, in Romans 4, it talks about the faith of Abraham. He didn't just believe that God was going to give him a promise. He set his life by it. He set his life by it. It says in Romans 4 that he believed hope against hope. He trusted. He trusted that God would give him a child. He sent out the child that he made by, fit, by flesh. He sent out Hagar. He sent out Ishmael because he was still believing. And when he had that child, he took that child to the altar of sacrifice because he was believing in the promise. You see, he believed beyond logic. He believed it was stamped. The scripture says it was reckoned to him. See, the scripture says that you and I have been reckoned, stamped with righteousness. But then we, in our faith, need to allow the Holy Spirit to stamp that truth back into our inner person. 
we go beyond just the logical understanding into the faith part. And there's no formula for that. There's no formula other than allowing the Spirit to work that truth and then move us into places that he's called us to minister. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified, past tense, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus. Through him also we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. But because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy... Notice past tense, poured. Not pouring, or not will be poured, but poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Those tribulations that you go through, they're part of God's way of stamping His truth into our hearts. That's part of His way of doing it. It's not the only way. A lot of times I say, Lord, I, don't want, to, I want to get it without tribulation. <laughs> you know, I don't want to go through tribulation, but... Abraham went through some tribulation. He had choices to make. And when we make the choice to follow God by faith, as Abraham did, that's what it's saying in Romans 4, that's more of God pushing, imputing, reckoning, concluding the knowledge of faith into the life of faith. And that's a glorious thing. And we boast the scripture here says rejoice, but it's really, it's boast. We boast in that way. That's what God's doing, and that's where the hope comes from. And this is very important, because this to me is critical, because our young people are watching. As I shared a little bit earlier, you know, I have the privilege of working with youth. I love working with youth. It's hard working with youth. I've been working with youth for 20 years 10 as a full-time vocational worker and the first 10 were as a volunteer and I still don't get them. <laughs> People come up to me, they, you know, what's your curriculum and all these things and what do you do? I just, I'm just following God by faith, believing. Hopefully some of the things I say they, they get, giving them opportunities to share in safe environments, trying by God's grace and the trying part is, isn't the safe place but believing that I can inspire them. And God can do the same in you. As he imputes that truth into your heart, that you now have access, that you have assurance, you can minister in powerful and profound ways beyond your wildest dreams, beyond any vision or plan or goal setting that you and your own thought process or me and my own thought process can have. You know, and the final thing I just wanted to share, uh, it says in Leviticus, it says that you shall, in Leviticus 16, 29, you shall afflict your souls. But as I just read to you in Romans 5, the Holy Spirit now is poured into us. See, Yom Kippur is a reminder that we have to offer some power we have to offer some movement into this life. And in the old, it was your own strength. But now it's the Holy Spirit poured, past tense. You don't, I don't do it in our own strength. We do it in His strength. And 
there's a glorious future waiting for us. If you just look at Romans 8, verse 30, it says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And to those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If you've been justified by faith, if you believe that Yeshua died for your sins, if you believe he rose again and that he's living in your heart, then you will be glorified. I know sometimes it doesn't look that way. I know it sometimes it doesn't feel that way. But it's true. It's true that we have a hope. We have a hope. We don't have to wait till next year. We don't have to fret that there's no ironic priest. We don't have to be scared that there's no tabernacle or when is the temple going to be rebuilt. We don't have to even worry about countries like Iran or what's going on in Libya or our national debt crisis or economy. You know, I see a lot of believers. We're all fretting all the time, anxious, scared. We have a glorious future. As Bob said, our life here is a blink of an eye. The United States, a blink. This globe, a blink. Eternities forever. That's our future destination, as glorified persons in Messiah Yeshua. That's the truth, ultimately, that God wants to stamp in our hearts. Therefore, we can go boldly. Just as God gives us the permission to go boldly before the throne of grace, we can go boldly out those doors. We can live because we have the Holy Spirit poured out into us. We can face any tribulation and boast in it, knowing that God is going to use that to perfect us. Knowing that God is going to use that truth because maybe somebody else is watching who you don't even know, who's going to come to faith because they want what you and I have. And you and I only have it because the Lord has risen from the dead and has given you his spirit to live that way. can't do it in your own strength. God doesn't call you to do it in your own strength. We do it in the power and the might of the Spirit. And Yom Kippur doesn't remind us to fast. It hardly reminds us really to afflict our souls. What it reminds us of is that God has a desire to dwell with his people. He has a desire to dwell with his people, to love on them, to cleanse them, to empower them. Let's live that way. And I thank you that we're going to really whether we like it or not, because that's his call. That's his desire. Let's pray. Father, we just love you so much. And I just pray really for myself and for each person here that you would impute the truths of Yom Kippur, of your desire for forgiveness, of your desire for relationship. I pray, Lord God, that each one of us here today would really allow your spirit to put that truth in our inner person and to live that way. And when we're not living that way, we would hear. It's a moment-by-moment relationship. Just as we have moment-by-moment relationships with our wives, our husbands, our our children, our friends, it's a moment-by-moment relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, if there are people here today that don't yet know you, that don't yet truly believe in the gospel, that Yeshua is the Messiah, that he died for our sins and rose again. I pray, Lord, that they would accept that truth and that they would receive your full pardon, that they would receive the gift of righteousness and that they would recognize that they have been cleansed by faith. 
and that the glorious life is waiting. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. God bless you and thank you. Shalom.